This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From the king of rock and roll to the fresh prince of Bel Air, youth culture has been steeped in the notion that adults don't get teenagers and parents just don't understand. Families argue with each other. That's part of life. But what if a brief and insignificant quarrel between you and one of your parents was unwittingly made available for the world to listen to? Perhaps you heard about our next guest for the first time after an angry voicemail left by her father fell into the hands of a celebrity gossip site. The ensuing media attention and fallout turned out to be more hurtful than the actual words spoken by her dad. Years later, she would use the details of the incident to mercilessly tease her father on a televised comedy roast and steal the show. But we only roast the ones we love. She's one degree of separation away from some of the most iconic roles in movie history, and her first cousin is married to one of the biggest pop stars on the planet. But instead of succumbing to insecurity or the intimidation of being overshadowed, this confident blonde beauty with a tattooed body and exquisite genes has deftly navigated many of the pitfalls of being celebrity offspring. She's found her voice and bravely paved a path to her own self-identity. So how does fame, the influence of social media, intrusive paparazzi, and vapid Hollywood social climbing affect your outlook on privacy and self-image? We'll find out as we sit down for a conversation with this outspoken and stunning young luminary. Today, model, writer, animal rights activist, and responsibly-minded social media influencer, Miss Ireland Basinger-Baldwin. Ireland, good to finally get it together. Thank you for sitting down. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, everything's going good. Everything's okay. We had a little bit of a corona scare uh, a couple of days ago. We we both had fevers for the last few days, weren't really feeling well, but it turns out we just had some other bug and we're fine. So, Well, the last time we spoke, you had an almost Seinfeld-worthy story of miscommunication between you and your mom, something she was supposed to bring by five tree stumps oh. and like and so what happened? There's a mix up with the number. I was, I was very confused, but it sounds like a hilarious story. My mom is a, she's a rather quirky character. She and I have collected all sorts of strange oddities throughout my life, but we, she's a big tree stump collector. So she'll go on anyone's property allowed or not, and she'll bargain with them and buy their tree stumps and whatever. So, um, and my mom does a lot of crafts with, with wood. So 
Um, she always puts them to good use, but she had about, I want to say like well over a couple hundred tree stumps in her yard. And yeah, no, she has so many, like since my whole life, she's always collected just weird shit from people's yards (laughs) and gnomes, whatever. So, um, she actually called me one day and was like, oh yeah, well, I have some stumps for you if you want them. Cause I love them as well and have them all over my yard. I use them as like tables. I do different, you know, things with them. She, I thought she said she had five, but then these, when we were scheduled to first do our podcast, this podcast, I had a delivery truck the size of a school bus come here with, you know, I walked up to them. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, you can just leave the tree stumps in the garage. They're like, oh no, they won't fit here. And I said, why? What do you mean? They're like, no, 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 there's too many. I'm like, there's five of them. They'll fit here just fine. And they're like, no, 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 no. You should see for yourself. And there were 55 I didn't <laughs> interpret her on the phone very well because she had 55 tree stumps. And is that, that, that represents just a small fraction of her collection? Or small a, fraction. A, a, small fraction. But I thought these men were coming over. These delivery men were just going to have five new tree stumps for me. And I had places for them. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. 55. So the day that you we had scheduled this originally, I was consumed with... <laughs> My whole backyard is engulfed in just tree stumps now. So. Is your mom a big fan of the giving tree? With the- yeah, though I was a big fan of that too, growing That's like such a bittersweet story. I like, it's funny, I was reading it to my son and at some point he was like, dad, let's not read that story. I was like, why? He's like, because it makes you sad. That's dark. <laughs> I know. It's a dark story too. You just like gave and gave and then there's nothing but a stump at the end. Um, so A lot of children's books are pretty dark, actually. Um, well, listen, I... One of the, the first time I met you in person, I had the honor of shooting your first cover of a magazine for you. Um, and what was cool about that project is for Beach Magazine, we shot it out in Montauk. But what, the coolest part is that you weren't hired as a model. You were hired as, as basically a feature about you. It was about Ireland. Had you done a lot of press at that point? Was that kind of a milestone for you? Or how did that come about? I That was when I first signed with my first modeling agency at the time. And I think during that time, they were sort of trying to push me as, you know, a daughter of these two movie stars. And she's, you know, trying to emerge and come into her own and have a modeling career and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of the press I did prior to the prior to that and a lot of the things I shot prior to that were you know, very not me. So I think that was the most exciting shoot for me because I love the beach. I love to surf. I love being in the water. So when I was told that was sort of what was going down and in a place where I grew up, I grew up in East Hampton, Montauk, Bridgehampton, that whole area and went to school for a portion of my life. And I was so excited because I'm like, this is so me. Everything else wasn't really me, you know? Yeah, that was a really fun shoot. And so it was you and myself. Um, and then the other, the other model participant was our friend, Albert, who's an amazing dude, really good surfer, like ridiculously handsome. Um, that was a really fun shoot. But do you remember we went scouting it was just the three of us. And we had this, uh, rented pickup truck, a vintage pickup truck. And we ended up getting lost for like, it seemed like 45 minutes or so, like driving in circles. And we came back to set and the editor, Christina Cuomo was livid and freaking out. Like 40 phone calls on my, on my, 
on my phone. Like that was a really fun shoot though. We, we got great material. Shoot. I loved it. And Albert was so nice and everyone was so fun. And I remember if I remember correctly, best hair and makeup. They were just <laughs> the funniest, best two. Yeah. So, D- DJ yeah. and my wife. Alive. Well, actually, did you know this? So I actually met my wife, Lisa, because of Christina. She yeah. had hired me for another shoot um, about a year before that. And we're shooting out in Montauk and long story short, we ended up just driving back into the city together and you know, the rest so is cool. history. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of, like kind of the a fun best show. duo ever. We had so much fun that day and we're taking stupid pictures and yeah, no, that was amazing. I love that shoot. Well, let me ask you this. I'll switch gears for a second. Um, so you're pretty active on social media and I think it's probably fair to say you're, you're really comfortable putting like candid or sometimes like others, some would say like private material out there. Do you think, is that a product of your personality as a whole? Or do you think it's just a result of a generation that really grew up with social media as such a dominant force? Like, are you out there more than some of your friends or less than some of your friends? Um, You know what? Honestly, I, I think it's definitely not a generational thing for me because so many kids now I feel like are like gener- Gen Z is being raised with social media where I really wasn't raised necessarily with social media, but I got in on social media at a really prominent time in my career where I, you know, I have a choice to be really open, vulnerable and honest. And I chose to do that in the beginning of my career when all I had was a Tumblr account. Do you know what Tumblr is? Yeah. So I had like, that's a blog platform I had a Tumblr solely to post about my anorexia, bulimia, my eating disorders, and to talk about that and to help girls through their eating disorders. And I would get constant messages and communicate back and forth and stuff like that. And I sort of served as a place for people to come and talk about these things that they felt like maybe they had no other way of talking about what they were going through. Like I got into Instagram and all that sort of stuff when my career started building and when I became a little bit more well-known for what I was doing. But the reason why I'm so open on here is because I feel like my whole life has been publicized since I was born, you know, like literally since the day I was born, paparazzi followed my parents home. My dad punched one out and went to jail, (laughs) you know, like that's been my reality since, uh, since I was an infant, you know? And so I like being completely open with people. I like being honest. I like showing the good parts, the bad parts. You know, if I'm feeling good about my body, I'm feeling like posting a revealing photo, that's because I've worked as hard as I have in therapy and in food dependency and anorexia survivors meetings and things that I've worked through so much pain and so many problems for so long. And I think I wasted so much energy hating myself for so long that like now if I post a sexy picture, it's not because I need men to tell me how good I look. I don't need anyone to tell me how good I look. It's not for attention. It's not because I have daddy issues. It's none of those things which people would obviously always perceive, which is a huge thing I want to change. Um, for women is just because a woman wants to show herself. It doesn't mean she has issues, you know, but it's really because I've overcome this pain and I'm proud of how hard I work out, how hard I, I take care of myself or whatever stage I'm at in my recovery. Cause that will be everlasting. So that'll be for the rest of my life. It's not something that just is fixed overnight, but I'm just proud of myself. And so the revealing stuff is because of that. 
if I overshare an experience, whatever, it's just because that's the kind of content I like. And I like getting to know a person for every part of them. And not when people are so elusive and only using their social medias to show the best parts of themselves. So, so like the, the bravery and the honesty that, that you've shown in terms of posting things related to, you know, your body issues or anorexia or stuff like that. Um, what ratio is, is there an element of it's cathartic to put that out there and to be honest about it? And then what ratio is it you're trying to help other people too? I mean, is there an element of, of altruism where you're trying to help girls that are younger than yourself? I think there's a huge issue in social media with where again, I think it's totally okay for girls to post photos of their bodies, of being sexy, of doing whatever it is that they want to do. If they're feeling beautiful that day and want to post a picture, that's totally fine. You know, I think that's a great thing. But I think that there's a huge issue with young women and young girls and young boys, everybody looking up, children looking up to these people who have the money to get plastic surgery and who have professionals editing their photos and who do all these things to look as good as they do and sort of set a example for younger people to look at them and go, Oh, you know, that's how I'm supposed to look. That's how I'm, my lips are supposed to look like that. My face is supposed to look like that. That's beauty. You know, that's likes that's, um, you know, having anyone sort of notice me and, and love me and whatever it is, that's what I need to look like to achieve that. So with what I post sometimes, you know, I'll post a photo where I feel like I look good and I look, you know, I'm happy. I'm wearing this bikini. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But I'm not unrealistically showing people my body isn't unrealistically edited. And my my whole goal is essentially for young women to look at the look at my honesty and be like, hey, listen, you can look great and feel good about your body and have bad days, too. And Lord knows I have paparazzi photos of me taken that I post all the time because I think they're hilarious because I walk out in my house with a crazy bun, no makeup, looking crazy. And they, and you know, they, they always take pictures of you. Everyone can take a bad photo and a good photo. And I've never given a shit about things like this in my life, but they see these girls like even out in public photos and they're like, Oh wow. Like, how do you look that good going to the market. How do you look that good all the time? What is this like unrealistic expectation of beauty where I like to show people you can totally just be a down to earth human and you don't have to be those things to be beautiful. Like you can have balance in your life. And, and a lot of that isn't real. It's, it's a picture in social media is basically people painting a picture of what they want you to see, how they want you to perceive their life, you know? So. Well, so have you made conscious choices in terms of the material you post of putting pictures, not just where you feel sexy and you feel positive, but where you days that you don't feel sexy and then you'd want to like show intentionally a, a realistic body image. So I oh yeah. I see girls posting pictures of, you know, they'll do like a side-by-side -side or a swipe photo where it'll be like pushing their butt out a certain way, whatever. Then the swipe next photo is them slouch being normal and you see their cellulite, you see their stomach fat and they say in the caption, this is a real body. Like it's perfectly normal. Like it's so easy to pose and fool people because it is. So I post, you know, my paparazzi photos because God knows like there's so many more important things going on in the world and I have no clue. I don't even know who I am. Okay. And I have no clue why people follow me around. The daily mail has like a big crush on me. I don't know what it is, but they always have photographers 
following me around, getting these horrible photos of me. And they're some of my favorite to post because I'm like, here's your bad sunlight. Maybe I'm in the craziest outfit. I am not a fashionista. I hate dressing up. I hate it. I love fashion. I admire it, but I'm not one to spend a lot of money on clothes and jewelry and I'll treat myself to, you know, I'm like treating myself to house plants and like top stumps, like dog, <laughs> like dog treats and like stumps. Exactly. So, you know, I'm very down to earth in that sense, but I like posting photos of myself also that are just hideous because I show people like, Hey, listen, I can clean up and, you know, I, I am very proud of the person that I am. And I have days where I wake up and I feel beautiful and I think my hair looks great. And I think this and think that I also post about my hair extensions. I don't tell people, Hey, there's this vitamin and I, you just take it and you wake up and you've got nine inches of hair. Like I don't ever want someone to look at me and ever feel bad about themselves in a sense. Like I'd rather them say, okay, cool. Like she can look like a complete bum and dress up. So it sounds like you really, you feel like you have a sense of responsibility to show like an accurate representation because of the platform and the reach that you have for for so many men and women and kids. 1000%. I think of my young siblings too. And like my little sister who's, you know, on her iPad and she sees pictures of people and she asks questions and inquires about things that, you know, she's obviously, she's super brilliant for her age. She's about six and she's like a mastermind, but I just think about her and I think about her, how fragile she is and how vulnerable she even is to seeing pictures of a lot of these people, I'm always aware of that when I post. Like I'm always trying to be as real as possible, mix it up. I'm not trying to do, you know, what a lot of people feel is right, which is just constantly. It's almost like it's like an avatar sometimes. Like people like this, uh, like completely fictional representation that's only the good and never the bad. And yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Your cousin Haley Baldwin, married to Justin Bieber, obviously has a massive social media presence. Do you guys ever talk about any of these issues? Do you ever seek advice from each other on how to navigate that landscape? No, I mean, Haley is on a completely different level of having to deal with things that I don't have to deal with and that I, you know, may never have to deal with because I am a very private person. And the more and more I sort of, she also is a very private person as well, but, you know, the direction that I go and I'm trying to go with my career and in my life is definitely what comes with that is more of a private lifestyle. So with her obviously marrying the biggest superstar of our time, um, you know, a lot comes with that. A lot of having to just trust the people you surround yourself with and you know, we've had conversations here and there about things. And I think the only, I can't really give her any advice. You know, she has a lot of professional advice and a lot of people that help her manage having to deal with that sort of lifestyle. And I, and I imagine, but you know, but more just as a, as a, as a friend and as a family member that can to a degree relate to them in a way that maybe a lot of people can't, I mean, you must have some sort of kinship and and shared perspective that a lot of people in her life wouldn't be able to offer. Yeah. I mean, I think me, I, I I think a lot of people in our family are really close and we all share sort of advice on how to deal with another member of our family or, you know, I, we're always kind of communicating. But I think I'd say the thing that me and Haley would 
connect on i've known Haley. obviously i've known Haley my whole life but or her whole life but i've we were really close when we were younger and i think we've always talked about despite whatever lifestyle you've been given now or that you've worked hard to achieve and wherever you end up however famous just sort of still maintaining that that young person that we you know both you both are still you know and still maintaining that humbleness and I don't know that's something we definitely talk about for sure which she definitely kept like she's still as sweet as she was when she was younger you know that's great. And what about your father? Do you give her give him social media advice? Did you have that conversation? Oh God! Uh-huh. Like he's had a couple. He's had some missteps over the years. <laughs> Is that a conversation you guys talk about? I've just learned to not engage with. You know, I think he's done a lot better than he used to for sure. I think he. It's really ironic because he like plays Trump, and Trump is so careless on Twitter and my dad used to be so careless on Twitter, so they ironically like have that in common, but. Um, no, I mean, I think that's one of those things where I just sort of let him do him and I do me and he comments all on my, you know, my really revealing photos and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, dear Lord or whatever he always comments. (laughs) But I think we definitely stay out of each other's lanes in that sense, because there's no telling him I'm equally as hardheaded as he is. So there's no telling me not to post the things I want to. And then there's no telling him not to go off on a tangent. So, you know. Yeah. I just thought, I mean, uh, so I think at the latest, I don't want to say a controversy because I think it was extremely unfair, but on, I guess it was the Tuesday when everyone was posting black squares for Black Lives Matter and your father apparently didn't get the the memo from the handbook or whatever, but he had posted a promo for you know, his podcast instead. And I, I feel like he definitely got kind of caught off guard on that one and probably unfairly so, but I was wondering if you guys ever give advice to each other on on stuff like that, just on procedural. I mean, listen, like I know plenty of people who are, you know, even my mom, my mom has a social media presence now and my mom has no idea about anything on social media. Like she looks at her feed maybe once every couple of days or whatever it is. And she's way less active than my dad is, but my mom didn't post a black square, but that doesn't mean she doesn't support the movement. She doesn't feel as wholeheartedly as she does. Same with my dad. Like they're, of course, that's why I felt like it was so, so unfair because if you look at, you know, your dad in his totality is like, completely educated, extremely enlightened and extremely progressive in terms of being an ally for that cause. I thought it was like really kind of misguided. And posting a black square and like solidarity, I didn't post a black square because I definitely knew of posting the black square prior and all that stuff. But then the farther I educated myself and read and listened to more black activists and people reaching out and posting that you know, using the Black Lives Matter hashtag and posting that black square was actually doing more damage than it was doing good because it was hiding all of this news and content that needed to come through when people searched the hashtag. So I didn't even do that because I think, honestly, and I don't care if it's a controversial thing, but I think posting a black square on your Instagram, if that is what makes you stand in solidarity with a movement this this important and this huge in our history, like... uh, I just completely disagree with that. I think there are other ways. And I think it's kind of the least you could do. It's really like almost literally the least literally you could the do. Literally the least you can know? do. And also my, and there's plenty of people who did that and were like, oh, 
okay, good. I, oh, I'm done. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, we solved racism in one day. Exactly. Yeah. But my dad also has an assistant who posts his, um, like if he has a scheduled post for, a, for a company or for his podcast or for whatever it is, a movie promo, something like those things get posted no matter what. So when he got back online and was like, uh, what, I think he had a really good explanation as to why uh, he did it. No, I but thought, I thought that was so ridiculous. <laughs> well, I think it, the fact no. that it, the fact that he was promoting a Woody Allen podcast episode, that probably didn't gnarly. help the cause. <laughs> that was, was like, that was just yeah. a, a bad a bad alignment of of coincidences. Like he was um, I don't know doing a podcast with like just anybody else than yeah, yeah yeah. Well, on the same topic, so despite the incredible array of very funny and talented comics, I felt like when you roasted your dad at the Comedy Central um, Celebrity Roast, like you absolutely killed it. I felt like you stole the show. Probably you and, and Nikki Glazer really like were the two best ones on there. Had you had you done comedy before? Like, how did that come about? How was it received? Did you enjoy it? Um, I feel like anyone whose parents got divorced are just naturally funny. That's just a thing. I'm just kidding. No, I, but no, I think like I, I, I've never done comedy. I've never, it was never even something I thought about, but I, you know, I had done a roast of my dad. They did like a PG 13 sort of roast on spike TV. I believe, I think I'm probably getting that wrong, but we did this roast of him like a couple of years ago. And then obviously like the comedy central roasts are like the most famous ones and they're definitely rated R and you know, you, you can cuss. So when I was asked to be part of that, I was just like, Oh my God, no way. Am I ever going to do that again? Cause it was so nerve wracking. I'm not a public speaker. Like I've never done stand up, but I enjoyed it so much that it just changed the course of my, of my career because now I'm writing comedy. Now I'm doing that, trying to do that full time. And I just, did you collab? Were you working with Jeff for that? Like, did you have a team of writers that were kind of helping you with that material or how did that process go down? We just sort of, there were a team of writers and we just had a lot of back and forth about what made sense and what didn't and you know I would edit certain things and and let them know hey I don't think my dad would ever think this was funny like I knew what would get him and what wouldn't so I changed things here and there and you know the whole process was just so fun and then the high of standing up on stage and doing that I mean of course it was also to my own dad so that was yeah. therapeutic in its own, but yeah, I don't know. Just being in that energy and being around other comedians. I, I mean, I'm not a comedian, but being around comedians and I just took it all in and I'm like, this is seriously something I want to do in my life. Like, I don't stand up. I don't know if it's writing, writing for a, you know, a, a comedy sh- show or whatever it is that I end up doing, but this is what I want to do. So, but you definitely, I mean, you definitely had a knack for it. Cause I mean, you watch the Oscars every year, these people who are not necessarily in the comedy lane, there's obviously somebody written their material for them. And it's like, they still, Oh, I get what you're trying to say. Ah, that's funny, but it's not, they're not selling it. And like, you really, you, you had a knack for it. I think it was really, I enjoyed the it. Job. it was fun. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess leads us to the next question. So I like, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't bring this up if I didn't get the sense that you have a really healthy, strong relationship with your father as a as an adult, but I mean, a lot of people first heard your name to a degree, uh, during that whole incident with the phone message that was leaked. And I always thought that was incredibly unfair that the media ran with that, not just cause it was a private moment between family, but like as a father of a four-year-old, like 
I've definitely said some shit. Like, I don't think I would want like one particular sentence isolated and put out into the public to represent my relationship with with my son. But I guess my question is like, that was a time before social media. Do you think that if that incident had happened today, that it would have gotten nearly the traction that it did? Because it seems almost like quaint compared to some of the stuff that you see online today. I think it got. I would have uh, honestly. I think it would have gotten more traction today. Really, people are. I think people. Not about, you know, obviously there are topics that I feel like are people should be on. I don't know. I think in regards to like racism and in regards to a lot of things, people have a full pass, of course, to get upset and get angry. And I think also, you know, a lot of these sexual misconduct allegations that are coming out of people, I think that that's like take down the motherfucker, you know, but if he deserves it, but you know. I think something like this, if something like this happened today with me, I think people would definitely take it as there's just a lot more women empowerment now. And if um, my own father was talking to me like that, I think a lot of people would attack him. But what people just didn't really know at that time was it just wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't change my life. It didn't affect me. What what fucked me up and what affected me was the fallout the not the deal that everyone made out of it and how it got how it got into the hands of tmz i don't know how it you know it was just such this whole mess that came of me literally listening to a voicemail as a kid maybe getting upset being like shit i forgot to call my dad back oh man and he's mad whatever and my dad said things to me if you think that's bad like not that he's you know ever called me a name he's never called me anything made fun of me said anything but people get mad. Like if I were to record saying things that I say to people in traffic every day of my life, like I would be completely canceled. And, you know, and that doesn't go to say, I say something horrifically racist or misogynistic, or I don't say, you know, I don't see anything that is targeting that specific human, but calling someone a, a, a pig, I probably call someone a pig five times a week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it also depends on like what happens at the end of the day. Like did, when you, when you and your dad and your mom and your whole family, when, when they put the head on the pillow, like what, where do you guys stand? Are you still family? Do you still love each other? Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's like, it's it just seems ironic that the, all the outrage on your behalf is actually what caused the damage more so than the actual incident. And it's a shame that that's the way that my name has been, you know, brought out there into the world is from a voicemail incident. Like when you, I want to get this changed so bad, but I don't know how, but on Wikipedia, if you like look me up, that's like the first thing in my body. Really? Still, you can't, you can't, can you edit it yourself? Voicemail. I don't know how any of that works, but I just look at that and I'm like, this is so honestly fucking stupid. I can't even begin to tell people like how, and everybody that brings it up still, which there are so many people that, you know, comment things on my photos or, or message me or whatever. And I'm just like, how does anybody, how does anybody have the mental capacity or the time to even hold on to this at all anymore? You know, it's like, (laughs) it just blows my mind. So I had the opportunity to, I shot, I shot your dad for a cover story. Um, couple years ago. And I don't know if you remember this, but I had reached out to you beforehand to say, Hey, you think you could put a good word in for me? Cause I'm such a fan of your dad. And I loved what he's done for so long. And I was like, if this guy is a jerk, I'm going to be so disheartened. <laughs> and, um, obviously he wasn't, he was wonderful. I spent the day with him and Hilaria and it was a really small, small crew. It was like me and my assistant and just a stylist. And we went out on a boat and like, just such a like warm, just normal guy. 
Um, but he can be so polarizing. Like, what's the biggest misconception about him? Uh, really, all I have to say is my dad is a born and bred New Yorker. Like, people are sensitive. And, you know, there's things that the biggest misconceptions about him is, for me, I'd say my dad has said things that he regrets and he doesn't mean in an offensive way to a specific community. You know, I know the LGBTQ community has come after him for something he said, you know, and this is me. Am I allowed to cuss on here? Go for it. Yeah. Well, I, I, don't know, yeah. I don't know what the specific incident was, but I, I think he called someone like a fag or something like that or whatever a long time ago. I don't know if he actually did or not, but people, you know, came after him about that, blah, blah, blah. And all I want to say is about that, you know, we obviously have to be really careful about, you know, what we call people and how we act out and how we, you know, show our anger and all that. And I completely agree that words are so hurtful, especially to a community that has, you know, look, like, look at the world we are in now of just how you words, words, words matter. Words matter. Like, where they've driven our country. Yeah. And they can be tossed around and, and, you know, and I, and I stand by that, but also I think, I think people really don't understand. And I still jokingly say like, I don't know who I am and I don't know why people care, but you know, I have, I live in a pretty busy part of Los Angeles where I have the same three paparazzi follow me around everywhere I go. And I'm not saying that to say, Oh yeah, look at me. It's actually horrible. (laughs) I don't know why. And it just is the way it is. I'm like, isn't there more important news going on? And like, why? Okay. Why do you care about me going to the pet store? But I have that on such a small scale. Whereas my dad, every, everywhere my dad goes in the city for the most part, most of the time, he has like five or six or seven paparazzi following him around, chasing him around. And what people don't understand is they say horrible things. I can't stand paparazzi. Like I, it's I, not. They're not there. To, they're not there to document the outrage. They're there to create the outrage. It. That's they that's the it. that's the objective. And they yeah. want you to fuck up. They want you to have a nip slip. They want you to say the wrong thing. They want to get you, you know. And and the best example of that is if people even look up like you know what paparazzi have done and and what they've said to people, you know, or even like Britney Spears or people that were really affected by how horrible they are and people don't realize that they when they're out with my dad they'll say things and provoke him and get him so angry and they say such disrespectful comments to him and they shove his wife physically out of the way with a camera or they'll push like she'll be holding her baby and they're so inconsiderate and disgusting that they'll shove her out of the way with a baby in her hands you know and if my wife and I were just having an outing and someone ever even laid their their pinky nail on her and my baby i would probably do a lot worse than my dad's ever done he's kept a better composure than i probably ever could and i will say this but like a couple days ago i was so angry that this guy was trying to get a picture of me and he was driving like an idiot and he like held up a parking spot and this woman was like trying to get in this parking spot and I got so angry at him and, and it's almost like something that took over me and I wish I had more of a sense of calm and composure. But in that moment, I was already so upset about so many things that day and just so overwhelmed with the world and everything that I like went and just dumped my drink on this guy's windshield. And I'm like, he didn't get a picture of it. He didn't get anything. He just screamed at me. 
And I'm like, I don't know what came over me, but sometimes something you just, you, it's, it's like so hard to just control that. You must, you reach a breaking point at some point, I guess. Right. But I think the biggest misconception is just, he said things that I know he doesn't think or mean, and he's the most like accepting and open human being and loves everyone for whatever you are. So I just think things he said that got misconstrued. I mean, I think that speaks to like the objective and some of the issues with the cancel culture right now. And, and I know like we talked about how words matter, but you know what else matters? Like context, context matters too, you know? So it's like, we've all said horrible things and it doesn't mean that it's excusable, but like, what's the objective? Like, do you want to cancel people? Oh, we, we got you. You got you. You said a word that's, that we can't say anymore. Like go, you're gone. Or do you want to like enlighten people and, and change attitudes? You know? And I think if you look at like your, your dad's politics, uh, as a whole, I don't think that the controversies really represent what's in his heart, as far as I know. I mean, you could speak to that better, but I just I hate cancel culture. I think it's so backwards. I think there's definitely people who deserve to be punished for things they've said or done or how they've mistreated people. I don't think there. I think there's plenty of people that are continue to going to continue to be exposed, and you know their truths are going to come to the light, and their skeletons are going to be taken out of the closet. But I don't. There's so many people that don't deserve to have careers. They don't deserve a lot of things. But I think when someone made a mistake when they were younger, and we pull up some old thing that they did, you know, back when they were in high school or college or whatever. I think, how are we going to get people to understand and grow and unlearn and relearn if we just say, no, you're wrong, shut the fuck up, cancel them, like, go sit. Yeah, exactly. What's the objective? Is the the objective to to change minds and to change culture or to, like, get people? And, you know, and the irony is it tends to be, like, the far left eating the middle left, whereas look who's running the fucking country. Like he's, you know, grabbing by the pussy and all those, like he's, they're laughing at us right now, you know? Yeah. And that's unexcusable to me. Like the things our president, not my president, but the things that this man has done are unexcusable to me. They're at a point where like, those aren't little mistakes that you've made at one point in your life. Like I see old interviews and tapes and things of things that he's said in the last five years, in the last, you know, since his presidency, since the last 10 years, whatever. And I'm like, I have no idea how all of you, not all of you, but a a certain group of people are so quick to cancel someone, but like you'll, they won't cancel him. And that's not, that's not a bug. That's the feature. Like that's, that's who he is. You know, it's It's very interesting. It's horrible. Yeah. But canceling people is just backwards. I mean, I think we should be able to explain to people, you know, unless they've Again, like the sexual assault thing is a very, there's really no gray area there. I feel like if you did and were capable of doing something like that, then you deserve to be canceled. But people are put in certain situations and and are canceled without really having a chance to explain themselves or, or, hey, listen, I I said this or I happened with this person and this is really what happened. And I know there's so many, there is gray area because there's so many things that have happened, like that could possibly happen. And that's the most important thing that I say all the time is none of us ever know the truth. Like we weren't there. You know what I mean? Like with what happened recently, for example, with Justin Bieber, like a crazy fan came out and made up this lie and was shut down in two seconds 
yeah. showing exactly where he was, you know, and I almost got all this shit on Twitter first taking up for him before the truth came out. I was saying like, this is just not this person. You know what I mean? Like he's just not that kind of person, you know, and you really don't know who people are. Yes. But at the same time, I just think people are so quick on Twitter and on social media to cancel people, to try to end their careers. And the sad mob, part, mob, mob justice, but then also it's just like, let he who cast the first stone, like nobody. I mean, if anybody who wants to cancel you, you're like, all right, well, open up your phone. Cause I guarantee you don't want to give me your phone. Cause I guarantee you there's something in there that, you know, yeah. you're cancelable. You know? Exactly. I mean, I don't know. I just, there's, there's, there's people who really deserve to not have what they have and continue to hurt people, continue to abuse women, continue to do the things that they do. And then there's people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time or are involved with the wrong person who, you know, wants media attention or whatever it is. And there's so many just different scenarios that can go down. But I just think when it comes to, especially in the, in regards to everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter, I think canceling people who have made racist jokes and remarks and things in the past, you can really, I think, I think those are the people that we have to sit down and teach. You know what I mean? It's true. Like take, take it as, as a, as a, as a teaching opportunity rather than an opportunity to like make somebody exit the stage, right. you know, because I think a lot of the problems that are going, there's a, a certain population where they're philosophically think that white people are superior and that, and that they're, they're irredeemable, but I don't think that's even what this movement is about. You know, it's, it's about like kind of enlightening and educating people who generally like to think that they're empathetic to the cause, but at the same time have, been, have a lot of learning to do have a lot of learning to do. And, you know, like the same thing. And you also can't judge people from mores from 20 years ago. Like we all did stupid, stupid things in high school and things were more acceptable back then. It doesn't make it acceptable now, but I just don't think it's fair to judge people from 20 years ago, from I don't 20 years ago ever, culture. Right. You know? I don't think they were ever acceptable. I just think we didn't, we obviously do things when we're young. We don't think about the repercussions. We don't think about how those things hurt people. And everybody is sort of at a different stage of their unlearning and learning journey with systemic racism. And just with everything that we're white fragility, all these things that we're learning about now are things some of us got to learn at a younger age, or we had different people, different people in our environment who raised us or different conditions that raised us to learn these things quicker than other people who are now learning it. But I just think, you know, I think there's so many things we do when we're younger because the media made that seem like it was okay then, or these jokes were okay when this person was saying it. So why can't I? And, oh, why can't we sing these songs? Why can't we, whatever it is, or wear this or whatever, you know, form of cultural appropriation or whatever we were doing back then, because it was it was just the in our environments, you know, telling us like, that's okay. You know, it's not a big deal, whatever. And now we're unlearning all of what we thought was right and relearning what now we know is wrong. And I think that that's the most important thing, especially for people who have ever made a mistake. It's like, I know I've made mistakes and I'm in this process now of asking people, okay, well, I know that this is a mistake now, or, oh, why shouldn't I say that? Or why? And I want to know why, and I want to talk about it, you know? And, and have an honest conversation. Like I'm coming to you like humble. Yeah. We all make mistakes. We all like have their stereotypes that are ingrained into us. And, and I think it's like this, it's strange. It's kind of 
mid-school liberalism um like from i guess the 90s when um they're like oh i, I don't i don't see color i'm like that's that's ridiculous like you and i didn't know that you until know? pretty recent uh, embarrassingly so i've been talking to uh, a girl who i reached out on instagram her name is uh avery francis and she is one of she's just super brilliant and like she's a really strong black woman who i followed on instagram uh, and reached out to her about, you know, a question because there was just so many posts and conversations people were ha- having. And I wanted to, you know, kind of see if it was okay if I got her perspective about some stuff. And we did like this Instagram live and I even, you know, she is uh, half white, half black and her boyfriend's white. And she was saying, you know, even my boyfriend who's Swedish and, or I think he's either Swiss or Swedish, but she was saying how he like had been saying, I don't see color until very recently. Cause he didn't know that that was a bad thing. And I had been saying it, you know, until the la- la- latest few years. And I'm like, not saying it like all the time, but I just didn't see why that was a bad thing. And then, yeah. you know, having, I mean, like that, that's a problem. It's not only a bad thing. I feel like you thought, or we thought they that, thought, that was we, like we, thought we were doing the right thing. We thought that was an enlightened way. Exactly. I mean, I, and I think that comes from a place where a lot of times, um, they conflate acknowledging race with racism and it puts, you know, white people in a position where like, Oh, I don't, I don't see color when it's like, no, it's okay. Like, yeah, I'm white and you're black. That's not racist that to acknowledge differences. And acknowledging the, what, what, acknowledging history, you're acknowledging history and you're acknowledging oppression and you're acknowledging what black people have struggled, how they have struggled and what they've gone through and why we are still where we are today by acknowledging color, you know? So I, I never thought of it like that. And I'm like, wow, okay. And there are just so many questions I've had recently. And it's like really cool that we're all having these conversations now. Just like a really uh, like a unprecedented, honest dialogue that will hopefully continue. Totally. Totally. Um, do you have any advice if you could go back and give your teenage self some advice with what you know today? like some of your missteps or things that you've learned? Like, do, would you have any time machine advice for your advice for your 13 year old self? 13. Um, yeah. I mean, personal advice, I would say to myself, don't waste so much time. Don't waste so much time thinking that this, that this is it. And what I mean by that is I was so down on myself about my image and my body and all of these things. And I'm like, I'm always going to look like this. This is never going to change. Or I'm always going to be stuck in this prison, mental prison of, you know, just abusing my body with eating, binging, you know, purging. Like I'm always going to go be in the cycle. I'm never going to be happy with the person I see ever. And I'm never going to, no one's ever going to want this person. So I think what I would say to myself is just, I wish there was a way I could show myself a piece of the future and be like, one day you're going to be really proud of your body. One day you're going to be really proud of yourself. One day you're going to get these opportunities to travel and model and do these things and it's going to continue and you're going to hit roadblocks and you're going to, you know, there are going to be days where you're not going to be completely stoked with yourself and your self-image, but you're going to bounce right back and, you know, these foods are available. You're going to eat and like learn about nutrition and all this stuff. So that personally is what I would tell myself. And then on a bigger scale, I think I would, again, if there was a way I could like hold open some sort of like portal key to the future, I would show myself what's going on today 
And I would say, just buckle, buckle up, you know, like yeah. buckle up because life, whenever you thought life was really hard and whenever you thought we're all allowed to feel pain, we're all allowed, you don't have to constantly compare your own pain. I think it's really, I had a, a therapist teach me this actually, who I used to I'm a huge empath and I struggle with feeling people's pain constantly. Like if I'm in a room with somebody, anyone close to me knows this, I get really affected by the way other people feel and think. And if someone in the room is depressed, I like take it on to myself to make them feel better. And I really take it in. And I've wasted so much, so much time being in relationships with people that I took on as charity in a sense, because I just wanted to fix them. That was my goal. I, I, I always chose the most hurt birds to fix. And that was what I wanted to do. So obviously telling my young self, listen, like there's going to be so much to fight in this world. You need to preserve that energy. You need to preserve, think about yourself. Like for one, where, where did you channel that? Once you learned that that wasn't healthy for you, where did you channel that energy? Is that when you began to have your own like self? I just never, I, 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 you know, sometimes you have to be selfish and you have to just live for you because especially when you're that young, I, for so long and in my teen years and in my early, early, early twenties, like I lived for other people always and lived to impress other people. And I think when I really unlearned that I had to hit sort of a rock bottom for me to realize, okay, now is going to be about healing through my traumas, dealing with these things so that I can get this all done now rather than grow up and later in my life have a drug problem or an alcohol problem or, you know, a prolonged eating disorder that kills me someday and just gets worse or whatever, you know, I get, cause my, I'm not a drug addict and I'm not an alcoholic, but I am someone who used to be addicted to just bad people. I used to be addicted to fixing people. That was my addiction was just involving myself, friends, relationships, whatever, involving myself with people and fixing them and using all of my energy that I had every ounce of it on that person's life and completely abandoning my own path and my own life and career and health and everything. So I just would have told my young self, don't waste your time with this person, that person, this person, that person. I know that you want to, but you really got to focus on yourself right now. You got to educate yourself. You got to, you got to know that it's going to get really tough in 2020. (laughs) Well, I'm curious. So like going through some of these challenges that you've had, whether, you know, with like just eating disorders or, um, you know, body issues, like how was that affected having to go through that under the, the specter of, of fame as well? Your parents have been, you know, in the public in your most of your family, like in the public eye since since you were born. Like what's what's your relationship with fame? Is it something that you really embraced early on or do you really have a checkered relationship with it? Because, you you know, you chose a career in, in modeling and, and, you know, in acting. So eventually did you become come to terms with it? Um, I think I just, uh, it's so funny because I've talked about this a lot recently, but I, my relationship with fame is it's kind of conditional to me because I know that there's a certain game I could be playing. There's a certain lifestyle I could be living. There's a lot of ass I could be kissing. There's a certain way that I could be right now 
that could get me in a lot of doors a lot quicker. That could get me a lot more jobs that I can look a certain way and I would be killing it, you know, and I surrounded myself around phony ass people who I've been around and who I've tried really hard to be like, this is your life now. Like, just enjoy it. And I'm like, I can't. So I think having anxiety disorder has saved me in a sense because I'm just far too anxious of a human to like be put in those social circles and be put in the situation where I love going to, I'd have to be sedated to love. You just could, you couldn't do it. It's almost like a, a silver lining that you just, because of these challenges and anxiety, like you just, you I'd are not to able drugs. to fall I'd into. I'd have to be yeah. completely on pills to hang out around a lot of these socialites and people and going these places and constantly like, whatever it is, which that lifestyle, that's, that's great for if that's what you want and you enjoy. And if you know, not, and I'm just talking about like, there's just specific people out there who are dating famous people and dating athletes and need this, like need these things, which all in the end sort of are the building blocks and stepping stones to the career paths that they have. And for me, like I, again, I step out of my house looking crazy and I care about more about my tree stumps and my dogs. And there's things that I just don't, there's just parts of my being that I've tried so hard to change certain things about me to try to fit that mold that I will never fit. So my fame, I feel like is conditional. And when I say that it's, you know, I'm still working really hard to figure out who I am and what I want. And I enjoy being home. I enjoy writing. I enjoy interior decorating. There's all these other parts of my compartments of my personality and of my, my hobbies and things that people don't know about me that I'm trying to unveil. And I think that's why social media is really cool because you can also just show this new side to yourself as well as, you know, be as private as you want to be or show what's sort of inside of your head, which I think is really cool. I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people would would find it surprising that you consider yourself a private person. Yeah. I mean, I think if it can help someone, then I am all for it. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that I go through that I don't feel like sharing with people, but usually there's really nothing I don't feel like sharing with people because I've, I've found personally when I'm going through something tough and I see someone else going through the same thing or talking about it, then it makes it less embarrassing. It makes it less traumatic. It makes it, it makes it so much easier to just talk about. And I think it's so therapeutic to get to a place where you can just talk about things and not feel the embarrassment, not feel ashamed, not feel, you know, just be open about what it is you're experiencing. But when I say I'm a private person, I mean, in the sense that again, social media is what I choose, what I want people to see. And maybe it's not always great. It's not always beautiful. It's not always luxurious, but it's little sprinkles, little bits and pieces of different parts of my being and my life and my personality. But at the same time, I'm private in the sense that I like to be home and I really don't want to be on so-and-so's yacht, you know, in a a bikini thong. And like, I don't want to be, I I love a good club night and I love partying and I love having fun and I love dancing and live music and all this stuff. But I feel like I lived a good little chunk of that when I was younger. And now I'm just, I love being home with my dogs and, and having a, re- a real life. You have a real life, you have yeah. a, real friends and a real home and a dog. And none of my that. friends are really in this industry. And that's also why I think that 
that also has to do with the life I sort of live is I, I don't live, I, I don't live with people. I mean, I don't have anybody in my life really immediately that's in this business, which is really nice because the parties I would go to before were like college parties because I didn't get to go to college, you know? So when my friends were in college and I was gone modeling I got to go do things like that or, you know, being able to travel with friends and be around people who like really appreciate the experience. And if we go and if I get an amazing offer to go to a free hotel and stay there and post about it or something, like my girlfriends that I ask are like, what? Really? Let's go. Like, it's so much better. Like, experience. like genuinely appreciate it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Rather than Ugh, there, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just it's <laughs> awesome to be like with people around people who just love life. And that's the kind of people that I love are just people that love life. And I get so excited about the littlest things, you know? So, um, well, listen, so we always like to close a podcast with, um, I like to give people an opportunity to plug something. We've talked about yourself, but I want to give you an opportunity to plug something that's been inspiring you lately, whether it's like a book or a movie or a new restaurant or a new artist. Like, is there anything you want to like shout out and give some shine to that people may not know about? Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say one little small thing about me, which I can't say much about, but I have a podcast coming out, which I'm really excited. Um, nice. Where essentially the podcast is going to be just very uncomfortable conversations that I'm going to have with people about all sorts of topics. So I'm excited to say that. Um, my boy, All right, keep us posted. I'm very excited. Is there a name? Can you, you want to drop a name yet or still it's a work in progress? It's a huge work in progress, but okay. I can say the name is called Uncomfy Combos. <laughs> so nice. it's going like to be that. cool. But All right. So keep, um, keep your eyes out, people. And I guess I'll say my, you know, I love plugging other people more than myself, but my boyfriend has new music out. His name's Corey Harper. And he's an amazing musician and he just dropped a new EP. That's really incredible and everyone should check it out. I'm fostering a new puppy. So if anyone wants to go on my Instagram and is interested in adopting her, she's available. So, all right. Yeah. Well, Ireland, I'm so glad we finally got this together to, to make it happen. I know it's a fine line between um, being persistent and being a pest. So I'm glad I stuck with it. No, um, I'm so was, happy we the, made it work. And I'm sorry about all of the... the not, yeah, not... It was a crazy week. Not a problem. It's a crazy time we're living in right now. But yeah. um, it was it was terrific good to talk about some of these things with you and see your face. And um, yeah. I wish you all the best. I hope to see you in soon in person. Me too. I hope so too. And say hi to you, Lisa for me. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye. This episode of The Plug was produced by Bucci with audio engineering and original music by Peter Buckingham. Thanks for listening and a huge thanks to today's guests for dropping in. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and be sure to tune in for future conversations.